0: So with that being said, um, we're not going to go on a trip to heaven tonight, don't worry. Um, we're not closing our eyes, that's, that's done and over with. Um, you just get to listen, you don't have to do any work tonight, I promise. Um, now tonight's, a, tonight's an awesome topic, um, we get to talk about contentment, we get to talk about money, we get to talk about heart issues, and um, so I want you to turn um, kind of just while I give a brief overview to First Timothy 6. Um, that's where we're going to be at tonight. <clears throat> and the topic I want to talk about, like I said, is it, it deals with money. And the Lord's really been honing in on me and, and kind of just slapping me across the head the past couple weeks as I've been, you know, preparing this. and And it's really hard for me to talk about because I really do get fascinated by talking about money. I think it's a really cool subject and I think it's an important subject. I think we need to to really dive in and look at it, and and how it affects our lives. And by nature, I found myself to be very greedy at at times in my life. And and I think a lot of us are, and I I don't think we really view it that way sometimes. When I was growing up, I had a very successful father. And and I'm super grateful, I praise the Lord for that, because Christmases were the bomb. Okay, it was great. My birthdays were awesome, you know. And, and so, I learned, you know, as a young man to, to be physically successful in the world. And, and I learned to be a really hard worker. And, and at the same time, he really did a good job of teaching me spiritually how to be successful. The problem was, I, I didn't really care about that. The only thing I cared about was, at 15 years old, I was in a factory working every summer at 5.30 in the morning. And, and I, I paid for my very first car. Paid $5,000 as a 16-year-old, and I was extremely proud of that. And not really in a good sense. I worked every summer, and I built a lot of wealth for myself as a young man. And one thing that I learned is, if I leave money in the bank or in stocks, it'll grow. And it fascinated me. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I, I couldn't believe that I could invest money and have the potential to gain more on the backside. And so immediately, like a gambling addict, I was hooked and I loved it. And I began to invest heavily at 18 years old with the goal at 25 I was gonna be a multimillionaire. And I stand here today at 27 and I'm I'm just not even close. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not even I'm not anywhere near it. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. But but sometimes I, I you know I look around at at my previous life and I've got a lot of funny stories, and I was, you know, a lot more arrogant and prideful and, and foolish, you know, in, in my past life before I gave my life to the Lord, and man, I just look around, and sometimes I wish I had the correct definition of how to be successful. I do. It, it, I wasted so much time with money and possessions and, and for the cares of the world, and it never got me anywhere, and so tonight I want to look at Joshua 1.8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein, day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, and then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And all I really wanted, really, was for people to covet the things that I had, right? I only wanted people to say, man, I want to be like him. And finally, one night, I gave my life to the Lord, and I just had enough. I I had searched and searched and searched for everything that the world had to offer, and it started me down a path four years ago, to learn to take seriously what Matthew 6, 19 and 20 says. It says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and dust do corrupt, I'm sorry, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break in or through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. And I don't think, you know, I'm not saying investing's bad. I, I, I think it actually falls under the category of being a wise steward. We're told to leave an inheritance for our children's children, right? I think that's a good thing. But I'm not really here to talk about money tonight. What I'm here to talk about is a hard issue. I want to talk about our heart towards money. Again, I spent so much time and effort. And, you know, for things for people who won't even care about 15 years from now. Like the best phone. Who cares about a phone? Seriously. You know, think about it. Like, who remembers the first iPhone? Man, that was awesome. Nobody cares anymore, though, right? We've got like six cameras on our phone now, you know? So we need to learn to be content while exemplifying a Christ-like behavior. Tonight, I want the theme of our passage to cover how we can gain contentment, invest in eternal riches, and in doing so, avoid temptation, lusts, and destruction. So look with me at 1 Timothy 6. We're going to be in uh, verses 6 through 10. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and the snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Let's to go to the Lord in prayer and just ask him to open up our hearts to this word tonight. Father, we love you, and we're grateful to be gathered in a place, Lord, where we, we know you're present. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge that it gives us. Lord, prepare our hearts to hear this, Lord. I, I do pray that this is your message. Just use me as a vessel, Lord. I pray that we can use this word, and we can go out and, and win the nations for you, Lord. God, I do love you so much, and I ask in all these things in your name. Amen. So I want to point out real quickly, I want to look a little bit to last week with Corey's points, right? So there's two different types of people that we saw in last week's passage. There are the people we are to avoid and the people that we are to serve, right? First Timothy 6, 3-5, through five, if you just look a little bit up on your page. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness... He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. I found it interesting that the context of the people within the body, supposing gain is godliness, these aren't lost people that it's talking about. These are the people that are here. This is us. This is Christ's followers, and unfortunately, these people left their first love in search for success, which leads me to my first point: success through contentment. And you'll see a subcategory there, uh, a being godliness and contentment, and we find that in verses six and eight. But godliness with contentment is great gain, and verse eight: and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. So typically when discussing godliness, my knee-jerk reaction is to look at the processes of spiritual maturity. It's a clear outline of growth in a person's life. And, and I think it's a good way to gauge where somebody is walking with the Lord. I think it's a good way to gauge their maturity. And like Romans 12, one says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If you're serving the Lord with all that you have, that's reasonable. That's a reasonable service. It's not above and beyond, it's just reasonable. But if you can't get over that one sin in your life and you're unwilling to accept the fact that you just have to stop sinning, then it's not reasonable anymore. Nor acceptable. And you will never progress in your spiritual walk with the Lord. It's just that simple. So when we look at 2 Peter 1.6, this is where we find godliness in the, in the steps of maturity, right? And it says, knowledge, "...and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness." And you won't be able to exemplify Christ until you truly mortify your flesh. That's really what we find in patience, is getting over that besetting sin in your life and just deciding to follow the Lord and be content with what he's given you in life. You have to be able to kill your desires and kill your wants. Now, when talking about success, there's really only one way to find success, and it's so basic, it actually becomes hard sometimes. Most of you know where I'm going. I'm going back to Joshua 1.8. This is the only place we'll find in the Bible success. It says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Keeping our priorities in line, with what the Word of God says enables us to eliminate the worry and the care for the things that the world says are important. This is contentment. This is what it all boils down to. is forsaking what the world has to offer. And trust me, I'm never going to say money will not offer contentment. Money offered me a lot of contentment in my past, and I think it actually gives contentment. I think it offers a sense of, you know, satisfaction. In Genesis 37, 27, it says, Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, and our flesh, and his brethren were content. And if you know the story, this is where Joshua is being sold into Egypt, right? And this is the first mention we see of contentment in the Bible. And if you know anything about how we teach here, we teach that the law of first mention Right is going to lay out a general pattern for how a word is going to be defined within the Bible in, in a biblical context. right? And so here we see contentment through selling off his brother, right? And, and really, it's the product of selling. It's the money that offers contentment, right? It's not really the action. like, I could go out and sell my house, and it's like, "This is great. I've got a bunch of money, but I have no house." right? So it's not the process of it. it's, it's the monetary gain from it, right. But it never stops there, right? Everything the world has to offer is always temporal, including money. But here we saw a substitute for death for money, which is really interesting. And, and like all of a sudden it was okay that they just sold their brother because they didn't kill him, you know. So what's the remedy for this attitude towards money? What do we how do we remedy this in our lives? Well, Proverbs 3:13 through 14 offers some insight on this. It says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof of fine gold. Okay, so now, what, what's better than silver and fine gold? Like, if you think about it, it's like, not much, right? But the Bible, if we look at the biblical definition of things, wisdom and happiness and understanding are. And, and we should have this hard attitude towards wisdom, you know, because it seems at first glance like wisdom, it's, it's feeble, it's nothing. You can't even tangibly touch it. But that's not what the Bible says. What the Bible actually says about wisdom is it's in te- intelligent, intellectual, and insightful. Wisdom also gives you the correct perspective, allowing you to observe situations and make the correct decision in your life, which is extremely important if you want to be successful in the lord's sense. So how and where do we get these gifts? Where do we get them from in order to be successful? Proverbs 9:10, the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the holy is understanding. So with these two verses we gather the understanding of how and where we can gain these incredible gifts and allow them to resonate through our lives to look differently and also look consistently in an ever-changing world. So are you willing to be satisfied with the life that you've been given to serve the Lord? Would you be satisfied with your life if all you had was a meal a day and a shirt on your back? Would you truly be satisfied? And that's going to lead into our second point, subpoint, excuse me, food and raiment, right? So 1 Timothy 8 is where we find this. I just want to read it again to get it fresh in our minds. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. And it made me think of, time, of a time when, of course, me being a jerk, right, just trying to get a rise out of Rachel. I'm sorry. I, I you know, she gets it. She gets it. I apologize a lot. Um, I was just being a jerk and I was just trying to get a rise out of Rachel and, and I asked her out of the blue. This is so foolish of me. I just looked at her and I said, would you be willing to live in a hut in Africa and, like, give all this up? Like, out of nowhere. This is what goes through my brain every day. Would you be willing to give all of this up tomorrow to go live in a hut in Africa with one meal a day and with shirts on our back? You know? And she couldn't be more delighted that I asked you. Let me tell you, she was ecstatic. Okay, she wasn't. She wasn't. (laughs) But what it did is it really did take me down a path where I had to think, you know? And, And I thought, you know, like, would I be willing? Like, yeah, but... Like, it's pretty much going to have to be, like, written in the sky for me to, like, do that. That's a lot of sacrifice, you know. Would I be willing to give up my phone, my stocks, my comfortable bed, my makeup, my hair products? You know, I, I want to say I would be content with that life, but would I? Do I have the hard attitude that service to the Lord is enough? Would I be content with what the Lord has given me if that's what He required? So think about that. Are you willing to be satisfied and truly find happiness with what the Lord's given you if he called you to live in a hut with one meal a day and some water? It's a hard, it's a hard thing to think about. And it, and it was a hard thing for me to think about and accept. <clears throat> so this is not a possession issue, really, is it? Really what this boils down to is this is a heart issue. When do you think... When excuse me, when you think about some people in Africa, right? All they know is a food and shirt, and water. Are they really like more blessed than us? When you think about it in this context, do they have it easier than us to serve the Lord because they don't have so much stuff to worry about? Like the great American poet said, right? More money, more problems. Some of you guys get it. That was a a a rapper. Never mind. Never mind. That's not on my notes. I got to get back. Mark 10, 23 through 25 says, And Jesus looked around, round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his word. But Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. But why? Why is it easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven? What's so, really, what's so bad about having money? Remember, this is not a stuff issue. This is a heart issue. It's where you place your trust. Wealthy people go to heaven every day. I believe that. I wouldn't mind being one of them, right? But you can see the sarcasm that the Lord kind of uses here, right? In in the words that he uses. If you have accumulative wealth and just abundant wealth, why do you have to have a, a Lord and Savior? Why do you have to trust in him? Why do you have to have a provider? You've already provided, right? You've already gained all of what the world has to offer. You see, for all of us, at one point or another, we had to come to the end of ourselves. And we had to realize that we were in a place where we had to trust the Lord, right, according to Romans. And we see that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and come short of His standard. And we deserve death. We all had to confess with our mouth, and we all had to believe in our hearts that God was Lord, or that Jesus was Lord, excuse me, and that He was going to be the Lord of our life. For most of us, we've done this and we've handed our lives over to Christ in total surrender. But we get so distracted, don't we? Man, we get so distracted. We see that all the world has to offer and all the things that we have to gain. And we do. There are a lot of things you can gain in this world. I'm not going to ever sugarcoat it and say the world has nothing to offer that's profitable. It does. Money. Right? But we forget to actually realize that we're the most valuable possession to the Lord, right? Why wouldn't he take care of us? He reiterates this in Luke 12:24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barns. And God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Man, everything in life says save, 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 or spend, spend, spend. Spend as much as you can or save as much as you can, right? But we forget that the Lord tells us that He's going to take care of us and He's always going to provide our needs. Not our wants, though, right? He's always going to provide our needs. He's always going to give us enough to bring Him more glory. And I think that's important, right? Let's remember that we need to have a heart that is directed towards the Lord and learn to be content with the things that He has given us. Let, let's not turn into the group that we saw last week that supposes gain is godliness. Which brings me to my second, excuse me, which brings me to my second point tonight. Suffering through covetousness. Covetousness should be your blank. And we see this in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. But they that will be rich fall into into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So I've asked this question to a lot of people a couple of times, you know, throughout my life. It just, again, this is the way my brain works. I'm sorry. You know, but I'm always interested in how rich is rich, how much is rich. Right? You see in the passage it says, they that will be rich. right? And I don't think this means you know, a quantity. right? I think we can agree that Paul is explaining to Timothy that they that will be rich is the people that have a focus on being rich. Right? There are some hard consequences to the decisions that people make when they want to be rich. And when somebody says they want to be rich, really they just want. They just want, right? And they violate, without even realizing it, the tenth commandment that the Lord gives us in Exodus twenty seventeen, "Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his as ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's." And it's interesting, right? If you look at sin, it always wants more and more, and it always wants to take you farther and farther. But just like First Timothy six nine says, it's always starting with temptation, and it leads to choking your faith out with unhealthy desires, lusting, and leads to destruction and death. So let's break this down a little bit, right? Your first or your sub-point is going to be temptation and a snare. So I've told y'all before that I'm just very black and white when it comes to things, and typically I just call my shots as I see them, and more times than not, I usually get it wrong, and, you know, it ends up biting me in my My backside but I I do think I have this one right right and I thought that lusting originally was something that people did towards one another right I, I want something that I don't have right but the definition of lusting is a longing desire eagerness to possess or enjoy as the lust of gain concupiscence carnal appetites unlawful desires or carnal pleasures Evil propensities, depraved affections, and desires. Lusting towards something really boils down towards an unhealthy desire to possess something that you don't already have. It's something that we can't obtain, it's something that somebody else has, it's something that the Lord says we can't have yet. Or it's something that the Lord just says, you can't have that. It's not good for you. I don't want you to have that. It's not going to make you successful in how I see success. And you know, really who we have to blame for this is just ourselves. James 1.14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. And it's truly a shame that we desire these things, and I think a lot of us will get to heaven and, and we'll look around and, and we'll tell the Lord, it's not my fault. It's not my fault I kept falling into sin, Lord. It's not my fault. This Satan, he wouldn't leave me alone. You don't understand. And yet he's just going to pull out, you know, his book and say, James 1.14, it was you the whole time. It was your heart. Jeremiah 17.9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Remember, when we fall into temptation, it's our own lusts that do so. And when I see somebody in, in sin, it's really hard for me to show compassion sometimes. The main reason is I'm just a jerk, and I'm just so black and white, I'm just mean sometimes, and I'm sorry for that. But the second reason is, I just see the destruction that it brings in somebody's life. Remember, it all started within our own heart. And you know, we have the option to sin. Isn't that interesting? We don't have the option to be tempted, we just don't. We can avoid temptation, we can avoid putting ourselves in situations to be tempted, but we can't really avoid temptation, but we can avoid sin. Every time we sin, it's our own fault. The things that sin will do to a life is devastating and disheartening. And bringing a snare into this equation is a really interesting way that Paul decides to describe this passage. And many of you know I'm a really good fighter. And most of you don't mess with me because of that. And, and I thank you. A lot of you know that I know jiu really well. And none of what I just said is actually true. I'm not a good fighter, and I don't know jujitsu. jitsu And usually when I fight somebody, I get really badly hurt. Just ask Vinny. I lived with him for like a year, and he like beat me up every other day. It's so annoying. <laughs> I do love him for it, though. He toughened me up. He did. He did. But jiu Really takes this snare concept to a whole nother level, right? Jiu jitsu takes the power of the enemy and uses it against themselves, right? Jiu jitsu redirects the opponent's power into a single point to take him down. The person using this technique is often patient and willing to wait for the aggressor to inflict conflict, or I'm sorry, to inflict damage. But when put into action, it is swift and oftentimes devastating. Do you see the comparison of why a snare is brought into this equation, right? You see why Paul uses this to describe they that will be rich, that set their desires on earthly things, and remove Christ out of the equation altogether. When you let sin alone without dealing with it properly, and when you let your heart desire Without consuming the book, you not will or I'm sorry, you will, not might, but you will end up like Israel did, after they possessed the land that the Lord promised them for generations. Psalms 106, 34 through 37, and also verse 39. they did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled together I'm sorry, excuse me but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. 39. Thus were they defiled in their own works and went a whoring in their own inventions. This is describing the nation of Israel, right? Like I said, after they conquered the land that the Lord had promised them for 40 plus years, and really for hundreds of years. Instead of mortifying the land of everything like the Lord had commanded, they began to figure out, you know, I can do it better than the Lord. We'll just make agreements, right? There's a lot more success to go around if there's a lot more people, right? And they walked away from the Lord. That gave them everything to the point to where they were killing their own children. Think about that. They killed their own children. And it didn't happen. Like, you know, dad didn't walk in the house and he's like, hey, little Timmy, come here. We got to go to serve Balak real quick and, you know, it didn't happen like that. Like, this happened over generations. They learned to serve their idols, and it became a snare unto them. Temptation and sin that are left alone and not dealt with will always seem harmless and always seem unharmful until they choke you out. And this is like the ground we find in Mark 4, right? There's four types of soil that we see in most of the Gospels, and, and really, it's the soil is our heart. Right, Mark 4 7, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out, and it yielded no fruit. Right, and so in Mark 14, we kind of get the idea of like how the Lord is describing this picture. Right, there's good soil, there's stony soil, there's hard soil, and and there's thorny soil. Right, and he's talking about the thorny soil right here. And in Mark 4 14, the sower soweth the word, so the seed that we see falling among thorns is the Word of God, right? And you're like, yeah, it does. Zach. We get it. We plant plants all the time, right? Like, we get how thorns work. They choke plants. I don't know if you know that. I, I actually did know that because I like plants. But in Mark 4, 18 through 19, we kind of get the, the rounding out of this picture, right? And it says, These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, okay, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things enter in, entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And you can't make this stuff up, really. Look with me what gets in the way. Riches, lusts of other things entering in and it chokes the word. You know what the word is? The word is the power. Right, The Word is what washes our hearts and, and points our desires towards Christ. You'll become unfruitful. You'll become dead spiritually. And, and I don't mean eternally. You'll still be saved. But here on earth, your physical spiritual life will be devastated when we don't have our heart in line with Christ. Which brings me to my second sub-point, death and destruction. And we see this again in, in verses 9 and 10, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish lusts, uh, many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And it's interesting that Paul says the root of all evil can be traced back to loving money. I also noticed That these people have erred from the faith, right? Like I said at the beginning. These are our people. They were once fruitful like Mark alluded to, or had the potential to be fruitful, right? These people sat in here, in the well, in our church, in First Baptist, right? And over time, they let their desires fade from the Lord and and saw the cares of the world and, and decided that it was better to do evil than good. They decided that sin was more fun than winning souls. They decided that a life of prosperity is more enjoyable than 1,000 years of ruling in a perfect state at their fullest potential. Remember what I was saying earlier about being satisfied and content? Check out what Proverbs 27.20 says. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. This is an all-encompassing group, right? This is man, that Solomon's talking about here. This includes us. Ever stop and wonder really why like most societies never stop increasing in efficiency and productivity? I really didn't until I started, you know, realizing that nobody's ever satisfied. Over the past 25 years, life has gotten so fast. I remember my dad like having to like go home and make business calls like on a landline and now like I can't get off my phone for like 4 minutes. That's crazy. We're never satisfied. Our unsatisfaction and our unhealthy desires lead to pain, and we end up harming ourselves to the point of death. We pierce ourselves through. And piercing through is is an interesting subject, so let's look at that for a minute. Judges 5.26. She put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer, and with the hammer she smotes the Sarah's, she smotes the Sarah, excuse me, She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. You know, this is the first time of eight times we see the word pierced in the Bible. And so I just kind of wanted to look at all of them. It didn't really take that much time. But I noticed five out of the eight times points to or explains Christ's death. So five out of the eight times points or explains Christ's death. This is not one of those places And also, our passage is not one of those places, okay? But five out of eight, that's a pretty good percentage, right? If you're hitting a baseball, that's a really good percentage, by the way. Okay, so every single instance, though, describes death or killing somebody. It always involves killing something. And you know what our passage is describing for us? It's describing killing ourselves with our own desires and with our own lusts. But not so, fi- so much physically, right? We're not actually like taking a nail to ourselves, obviously. This is a spiritual context. And I think that carnal Christians know that they live a miserable life. I do. I really do. I don't understand how you can go through life knowing that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you're always at conflict with yourself. And I think they know that, too. And the worst part is, five of these times depicts the death of our Christ, the only person... That ever has walked this earth, that died in our place, and it worked, right? We get so distracted, don't we? So distracted, we look around, we see what all the world has to offer, and we forget that man. The Lord took all that for us, so we didn't have to. Praise the Lord. Matthew fourteen twenty nine thirty one. And so, so in in looking around at the world, I. I I'm kind of leaving out a little bit of context here. It just reminded me of like what Peter went through when he, when he stepped out of the boat, right? And it says he came and he said, come, right? So Peter saw Christ and he's like, if you're the Christ, tell me to come and walk on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately the Lord, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Man, isn't that us? The Lord's like, hey, just follow me. Just keep your eyes on me. Where do we go wrong? How often do we get in trouble with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or our spouse? Right? How often do we see a little bit of financial hardship? Right? And and immediately, our first knee-jerk reaction is to doubt the Lord for some reason. Like, He's not the one that made it all anyway. And this has happened to me multiple times in my life. And it's an area where I've really struggled in my walk with the Lord. The frustrating thing is, whether it's $100 or $3,500, and I've seen both. I've seen in an instance just lost thousands of dollars, right? And I immediately doubted the Lord. And right when I called out to the Lord, it, it's like something happened and it was okay. And it was. The Lord came through every single time for me. And I'm not saying the Lord's just going to drop $10,000 into your bank account. That's not what I'm saying. But the Lord's always going to provide for your needs. Always. If, as long as it brings him more glory, right? So as we wrap up, we saw tonight how not to behave, right? And, and a lot of it was our heart towards money and a heart And having a heart for it right we saw a hint of a remedy to avoid temptations and how to live a godly life we know that the only way to find success is to put our nose in the book and put the book in your heart it's the only way to find success beware as we go out this week of what the world has to gain or what you have to gain from the world i'm excited for next week tonight felt like a very heavy subject and it felt like a lot of negative information but i'm excited again for Corey to come up next week, because I believe what he's going to give us is a foolproof plan on how to avoid walking in accordance to the course of this world, and how to avoid these things, how to avoid having a heart for money, and having a lust for the things that the Lord has to offer, or excuse me, having a lust for what the world has to offer. What will you decide in the next week? Will you decide to live a godly, content, committed life to the Lord, full of joy, full of happiness, Or will you choose to place your trust in earthly riches that will ultimately, at the end of the day, perish? Let's pray. Father God, I love you so much. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding that it gives us to walk in this world, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the people around us this week, God, will understand and see that we're different. Lord, that we're living for you, that we're content with whatever we have. And, and we understand that you're going to always take care of us, God. Father God, I pray that you bring souls into the well and, and bring souls ultimately to your, your kingdom, God, through us. I pray that we can be a serving generation. I pray that we can be a serving ministry, Lord. And I pray that we can be a, a ministry that loves your word and, and wants to serve you. God, we love you so much. It's in your name I pray. Amen.